0: Hello and welcome to Bootstrapping SaaS to Millions. This is Mike Wagstaff and Kevin Wagstaff. are the founders of Spectora. And here we uh, share stories and lessons learned bootstrapping our SaaS business from zero to an eight-figure business. What's up, Kev? What's
1: up, man? Ready to talk some leadership today?
0: Yes. Today we want to dive into leadership, not only like as a founder being a leader, but also fostering leadership in your team so that your company can grow. Um, I want to talk about maybe some of the mistakes that we made, some of the stuff that we didn't do early on that we kind of wish we did. Um, and also talk about what we're doing right now to foster a leadership team within our company. So, um, yeah, I mean, do you want to give a little bit of the background for this? Yeah. So in terms of the conference
1: we just got back from that, that kind of spurred a lot of this. So sure, sure. we, in the home inspection industry, there is an organization, a coaching and mastermind organization called IEB, and they teach home inspection companies how to grow, how to grow leadership, um, to, to build these empires, to build mega multi-inspector companies. And so um, we have gone to this conference about a year ago, two years ago now as a vendor. And uh, they have a very charismatic kind of leader of this organization who gets up on stage and talks and kind of has this uh, inspirational Tony Robbins affect to him. And we got to sit in on a lot of sessions that impacted how we think about leadership. So not only were we a vendor at this conference, we got a lot out of it to get us thinking about how to build up the people within our company. And it's not something we had dug into a lot before,
0: right? Right. If you look at our history, you and I were doers, right? When we started, I was a hammering out code and designs and you were just selling and marketing. And that's how we started. And so then when it came time to hire people, we weren't really thinking who's going to be a leader of some segment of company. We were just like, we need more people to do the work because we're just having too much to do and not enough time to do it. And I would say, gosh, our first dozen hires, if not more, kind of reflected that mentality where we were just looking for more people to do the excess stuff. And not only that, but as, as the owners and founders, I don't know if we were necessarily leaders. We gave tasks, we delegated tasks, but we didn't necessarily dig into people's like leadership abilities. We weren't asking them um, where their strengths were and how can we lean into them and how can we influence people outside of Just our own work. How can we motivate people? How do we build more team cohesion? How do we communicate better? All these things that like leaders think about. I don't think it was even on our radar, right? Like, what do you remember from those those early days?
1: I remember thinking just the fact that someone was a first, second, third employee, that, that means they'd be a leader. Like I I really had the false impression that they would be so excited about the opportunity and the growth that they would naturally just lead people and had nothing to do with who they were or their background. So that was obviously pretty silly to, to assume.
0: And I I think it was um, also foolish on our part to assume that like the inputs would be there, even if somebody was like, Oh, I want to be a leader, but they didn't really know how it's not like we were giving them a steady stream of inputs, like sending them to conferences recommending books or having a book club on like leadership principles, management principles, how to grow an organization. Like we just kind of assume that would organically happen as the company grew. And as it turns out, you need a lot of intentionality um, around that stuff or else it's not going to happen. Right.
1: Yeah. And do you remember us talking much about vision or our mission early on? Like it's, it's hard to do. I think we talked about this in another episode, but like, getting clear on that it's it's got to be really hard in the first year because it's hard now oh, yeah. even 4 or 5 years in
0: like i mean it was always just let's get more customers let's get more inspectors to use our our platform and that's that's great that's a great business objective but is it a vision is it a mission it, you know and it didn't even address like what do we want our company culture to be like who are we as a team as a company it wasn't um, necessarily guided by we we always had inclinations of what this um sas platform could lead to in terms of adjacent spaces and kind of transforming how people buy in and own homes but that's not something we communicated at the time. that was just something you and i kind of knew and knew where we were headed towards um, you know and of course to give ourselves grace like at the time when you're fighting for survival and just hoping you can uh, have enough to pay bills and then pay these new employees salaries consistent consistently um, it makes sense why that was our mindset but Yeah, in retrospect, I wish way earlier on we started thinking about, okay, how can this look? Because we were just calling everybody that had been with us for any amount of time a leader just because they suddenly like, you know, after a year maybe understood some of the dynamics of our industry. And it's funny, we had a Slack channel that was called Leadership. And at one point it was like 10 out of 12 people (laughs) were in it. And it was just like, it was kind of pointless. And, And some of that I think was us like kind of being, nice guys and not wanting anybody to feel like they weren't being rewarded for, for sticking around. Right. Cause we hadn't built a company of that size or of any, you know, at any point in our history, we can say, Hey, we had never built a company of that size. And so early on, I think we just felt really grateful that people were like, Oh yeah, I'll come and work for you guys. Um, so yeah, there was definitely those pitfalls, those, those traps we fell into along the way of having a very flat org chart. Can you speak to I'm curious, I want to hear how
1: you think about this because you're you're so introspective and self-aware of like your need as a, with a counseling psychology background of always wanting everyone to feel heard and involved, like how that plays an impact and maybe take in like, on my side, it's more of just the people pleaser wanting to be liked, wanting everyone to kind of feel good. That combined leads to like probably worse leadership because then it's like everyone just feels like, every time they have something, uh, that they, that's not perfect or great. Yeah. They're going to feel heard. And there's never like a directive or, or like goals of like, guys, this has
0: to be done. <laughs> right. Oh, what a dilemma internally for me. Like, you know, we had sometimes a clear idea of what we wanted to do, but then I also, just personally, you know, not only the counseling background, but philosophically, I like to feel like everybody's input's valued. The people that are closest to the ground floor might have the best ideas. Because I remember when I was like, you know, somebody on the ground floor, right? some of my early jobs were like working at after school programs with kids. And I remember having feedback for like the executives and they didn't want to listen, even though I was like, but I'm the guy that's here working with everybody day in, day out. Granted, I'm sure at the time I didn't see a lot of the big picture of the economics and whatever else was going on, but I want our organization to be one where people can be heard. And conversely, you don't want everybody to feel like, hey, anything I say can get a green light and all ideas are good because sometimes they don't have full context or necessarily know like what our vision is or where we're headed. Um, or they might have limited ideas where it's like, hey, this is great for the client. But if the unit economics are poor, then that's not a great business idea. Right. So it's a constant struggle. I still, um, I don't know if there's a clear blueprint in my mind of like how much to be directive versus how much to be very open and inclusive. Um, I don't know. How about you? When you talk about the people pleasing nature, like how have you wrestled with that over the years and where are you at today? It's just having,
1: finding the courage or, you know, whatever books we came across or conferences we went to, um, of course we wish we would have known earlier and implemented earlier, but I think hardening yourself to creating goals and then holding people accountable to them. Like it's that simple. I feel like, um, you know, cause you think that will cause conflict and you, you know, you, I naturally avoided it. So I naturally avoided that conflict as opposed to getting clear on what our goals were. So that's probably step one was us, Somehow extracting ourselves from the day to day of trying to get customer nineteen or thirty six and sitting in a room for an hour and saying like where do we want to be at the end of the year and we, we I think we loosely did that I think you know we said two hundred or at the end of the first year two hundred customers yeah we devote like an hour and a quarter to like <laughs> planning yeah.
0: quarter.
1: yeah uh, it felt like something we just thought we had to do and we started trying it on and then it was like but then it didn't filter down to our people yeah we just said like. Hey, we're all going to do stuff and hopefully we arrive at 200. So sometimes I'm like, wow, we succeeded despite like not being very dialed in on goals.
0: Yeah. I will say in retrospect, I feel like I was very much involved in too many quote, small decisions um, for far too long because there was that, that need to be like directly involved. Like, oh, this is my thing. This is the thing that I've built. And so then I wanted to be involved, like proofreading everything, like looking at every design, every um, feature that went out. And it was something that I think kind of maybe held us back instead of empowering leaders, giving them the opportunity to make decisions and have consequences, good or bad, for those decisions. I think there was a lot that I was still kind of bottlenecked and it, it hit a point where I knew it was like way too much and I had to just change. But I think that's the danger. If you don't start thinking about leadership early on, you end up becoming the bottleneck for too many decisions. Maybe some that are more trivial compared to like the big picture decisions that one should be making when you're at a certain stage of growth. And, um, man, if you, yeah, it's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to get stressed out if you don't start to delegate early on. Um, do you have any experience like that on kind of your, your side of the house?
1: Yeah, I think like still taking client calls for too long in certain parts of the business, like on the you know website hosting side, sales side. Um, yeah, you think back and you think of so many meetings and so much time where you're just like, in hindsight, you're like, wow, what what a poor use of time. So it's yeah, I would say it's it's and I think you take meetings and you do certain things when there's not leaders in place, when there's not someone that you fully trust is a a sometimes better version of yourself. And so I think that speaks to earlier on spending one-on-one time with people about their goals and where they want to be. The things we're doing now, doing that in year one and two and finding the time. And I think (laughs) if you have to prioritize between getting a few more customers and doing that, you're probably going to get a few more customers, which rightfully so. That's the difference with bootstrapping and and VC-backed companies, right? When you hire 50 people you have more people thinking about 50 people that mm-hmm. need to work. So yeah, I don't know if there's a good answer because it's hard to tell. Some, it's, how are you going to tell a new founder, don't go get the next 10 customers?
0: Right. I think a function too of being bootstrapped is you don't always have to budget to hire people that have extensive leadership experience. I think a lot of what we've done is taken people that are young and hungry and developed them into leaders as opposed to finding people with a huge track record of leadership. And, um, and that's just the nature of it, right? It's kind of hard to compete with, uh, venture backed salaries. And so there's a function of that. I'm curious though, do you feel like there was ever the dynamic where you didn't want to hire people that knew more than you at a certain thing? No, never felt that. (laughs) can't tell you I've ever,
1: I've never, I guess I've never thought about it a ton. It was Mm -hmm. always like, Can we, well, early on, it was just finding the people. I think we just wanted to find someone to do the job and fill the role. And I think that's the, that was, there was some danger in that, but um, once we could afford it, it was kind of like, get the best talent, get the smartest people around us as we could.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely remember as we transitioned to that, where we were hiring people and like, yeah, they, they are way better at engineering a product process at design than than me. And that's a really To me, that was like this interesting inflection point because the thing that, that I did early on, of course I had pride and ownership in, and felt like I was good at, but I always knew I wasn't going to be the best at any given one thing. And so, yeah, once we got to the point where, Hey, we can hire people that are way better and I can start delegating these things to, and almost have a higher level of trust at the decision-making and outcomes. Um, sometimes well-placed, sometimes, you know, rash decisions happen and that's kind of the nature of any, any person or any business. Um, but that, that felt really great to me when you were like able to just trust, Hey, they're going to make the best decision. Let's just ask the right questions to make sure they're thinking about it in the same way that we are. And then from there, they can, you know, just, just be off to the races.
1: Sometimes it's not even like the best decision. It's just a decision or someone that just, Someone else thinking about the problem and then picking a direction and going. Cause yeah, sometimes we spin ourselves in circles when there's more people, you know, it's like more debate, more opinions, and then nothing happens. And so sometimes it's just empowering someone to say like, you're responsible for this decision.
0: Yeah. Because the thought cycles, the process takes time and energy. And if it has to be replicated across multiple levels, what a waste of overall time. Instead of saying, Hey, you decide I don't care about the details. That's, that's on you. You just let me know, hey, this is my decision. This is what we're going with. If you can trust somebody enough to do that, it's going to save you so much of those, those mental cycles and that decision-making fatigue that happens when you're trying to be involved in every little decision, whether it's what software platform to use or whether to migrate to some new technology or how to structure a team You know, at this level. It's, it's nice to be able to have discussions about it, but not be so in the weeds. And I think that's just necessary to growing a company of any significant size.
1: Do you think some of our earlier teammates could have blossomed more had we been focused on leadership since day one, or do you think it's a right person in the right role kind of thing? Because you see this, some, we've had some people come in a year or two later and you almost felt their leadership like pretty quickly.
0: Um, or is it both like most things? Yeah. I imagine it's both, right? Because if we weren't, if we didn't have an eye to it. If we didn't have attention and attention and intention to fostering leaders, of course, that isn't going to, we're not going to prompt it from our end. And if other people are just like, okay, cool. They want me to do and do and do more. That's what they end up doing. And so I can see why it didn't necessarily happen for some of our early people. Maybe it was us that changed. Maybe we were at a point where we needed leaders you know a couple of years ago and that's where we said all right this is like something that we're focused on and it's gonna be a gradual shift and then we were aware of the people that were bringing that energy maybe that's we hired people that brought that energy i don't know it's both right and uh of course when we were early on as a function of kind of who showed up who we knew a lot of our early employees were like personal network and so at least a few of them and so yeah there's definitely um the ability to like articulate our vision more as we grew as a company. And that maybe attracts people that have that longer term game plan. So it's probably a, a mix of multiple factors. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We, and and when there's no, you know, it, in this IEB conference we went to, they, their, 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 their acronym is MVVC mission, Val- mission, vision, values, culture. And without that, we didn't understand the value of that early on because we were just doing and it almost felt like, I think a lot of new bootstrappers think, "Oh, that's corporate BS, right?" And I guess my thought, on, my thoughts on it have shifted because it just gives somebody something to define how to behave. It gives like what you're marching towards, and everyone wants to just feel like there's a, a championship at the end of the you know the game or season. So, I guess I, I've having seen it in action, that would have been so helpful from day one had we. Pulled it out of our ass because that's honestly what you're doing at the time is like you're trying to transform an an industry or a way something's done. You're making it up before it happens. I think that could have given people like a a, a higher level of focus and maybe wanting to like lead and be a part of that as opposed to we're just doing things. Like that doesn't make someone feel inspired as opposed to here's a well thought out mission and vision for how, because it gives certainty. And that's all that's what I think humans want.
0: Yeah. And nowadays I feel like the values and culture, you know, we're attracting new talent. We're I think we're up to 30 people right now. We're attracting new talent that's so pumped about who we are as a company, how we work together, how we communicate, just like the the level, the the where people are at on the team in terms of life and what their goals are, that they're willing to take pay cuts to say, I'm gonna take a chance on this and on myself to grow this thing into a massive. Uh, you know, 10X of what it is. And they're willing to do that because everybody that they meet, they say, just brings so much positivity, so much drive, so much ambition. And by having that culture, man, it's helped us with, like as a blueprint for hiring, it's helped us, you know, rule people out first round. If they're not a culture fit, we don't need to go any further. Um, the values thing, you know, if people aren't aligned values wise, we know there's going to be inevitable conflicts, interpersonal conflicts, prioritization conflicts. And so, by just articul- articulate those clearly, our head of people very much knows like these are the kind of people that get through the gate. And so every time she has those early screening calls, she knows if somebody's going to be a good fit for continuing the process or not. Like, I think our team will just continue to get better and better because we have those so well defined at this point. They're
1: feeling better. I, I I'm you know, I, I did a couple of interview calls just the other day, first interview calls, and I still enjoy the reps talking about this stuff. Cause I think we need, we need more, everyone needs more practice talking about how we think we behave because it's funny how, how easily people can start just parroting what we say. And then we have to pull back sometimes and be like, wait, is this really how we are? Or are we all, you know, to make sure we're not fooling ourselves. And I think good leadership helps check each other on that of saying like, we say, this is a value.
0: Is this actually what we're following through on in our hiring process or whatever, yeah. So I want to kind of get back to how, so we currently have a leadership team and maybe I think we can talk a little bit about how it formed and what we do and what that looks like. Um, so hopefully somebody that's a little bit earlier on in the process can start thinking about these things and nurturing leaders in their company well ahead of time. Um, because yeah, we had to get away from you and me and then everybody else underneath us. I remember we were both doing check chats with like every single person on the team. There was no hierarchy the org structure was just so so wide because it was everybody at the same level so we started making changes and saying hey we need somebody that is like head of engineering head of product right now we're going to transition to having a head of sales a head of marketing um a head of client success and so yeah what what do you remember about that transition and like maybe specifically when you said hey we need a head of client success that's traditionally been my role but it's just getting too much as our client success team grew from two to four to now it's like 10, I think 10 people.
1: Yeah. I remember feeling like, I remember that moment when I think we scheduled check-in chats for the quarter and it was like two weeks of our time was just done. It was just booked. And I just remember thinking like this, this can't sustain this is this uh, and we dreaded it. We started to dread it instead of look forward to it, The check-in chats and so whereas now check-in chats with leaders they probably fill us up right they probably make us feel great so i remember saying gosh we let this go too far um the flat hierarchy is kind of like a an idealistic founder dream where you're just like oh everyone's equal everyone you know everyone's voice is heard equally but then you realize they're all dming me on slack (laughs) like (laughs) that's the moment i think anyone you know for those that are solo founder a couple team members it's fine now imagine it at 10 20 and i think that we hit the point when we needed to of there's got to be a layer in between and i think that it's scary i remember being scared because you're defining you're clearly saying someone is more fit to lead than others but that's the world we live in that's life (laughs) i think that's part of a team
0: and yeah, people's feelings get hurt because there's multiple people that probably say, oh, I think that should be me. And a lot of it is just, hey, how are you showing up? How are you showing it to, in this case, us, uh, that you are a better leader? And that's, that's hard, right? That's when it starts to feel a little bit more corporate-y where you know, people are like, oh, I just got to make sure I show them every single win that I have and every stat that I'm moving. And um, yeah, it, it's definitely a different feeling then hey we're all just a bunch of people working hard in a room and uh i think that's it's a necessity whether you like it or not it's a necessity it doesn't have to feel like politicking It can feel just like hey here's here's my report of what's happening um and it's more than just that but it's also like how you feel about somebody are they making good decisions are they trustworthy are they authentic are they forthcoming do they tell you things good or bad like there's also those um hard to pin down you know there's no stat to to measure authenticity but if you trust somebody through and through you're going to say hey they should be a leader within the company you
1: know i i view it i view it a little differently i guess i view it in a more positive light of like it's a bridge to accountability and i think the flat hierarchy even thinking back i'm like man is that just a cop out because no one wants to have hard conversations with people to tell them why they're not a leader so like to me it got us to those hard conversations and you're great about leaning into those hard conversations and so to me gosh you think back and you're like wow we could have been so much more honest with people quicker if we were just like here's why i don't feel like you're a leader yet but like maybe we didn't know what a leader looked like so <laughs> maybe it was maybe it just all happened when it should have but i think learning what a actual what actually a leader does sooner could have been great hundred oh, percent so I yeah do you think there could have been space to have that happen sooner given the nature of like a a get the next customer mentality of of startups.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that we could have embraced earlier on that we were leaders. Like it's funny. So we currently hold the titles of co-CEOs. That wasn't something we were even like, okay, having, because we didn't feel like CEOs until like the past year. You know, I think we, I just had like engineer slash designer slash founder. And you just had like marketing slash sales slash founder, because that's how we felt. That's Mm -hmm. that's where we were were doers. We were people that just got shit done. And we just, I don't know, maybe our impressions of what CEOs did wasn't as um, positive as it is now. Where now we know, wow, they, it's a hard job. It's a stressful job. It's super nuanced. It's very emotional. It's very taxing. And we're, we had to kind of walk that walk before we could identify as such but yeah i mean earlier on so like what is it industrial organizational psychology they say like hey three to five direct reports that's about the sweet spot if you have more you're going to feel tapped out you're going to feel overwhelmed you're not going to be as in touch with each one um if you have less you're just burning resources if everybody has like two directs so three to five and at some point you and i were sharing like 15 and so Obviously, yeah. Can you start thinking of that way early on? Can you have as, hey, as soon as you have a couple engineers, one of them should be the, a leader, one of them should be a head of engineering, and then they can grow that team. And so then you're just talking to the head of engineering instead of worrying about, you know, two, then three, then five engineers. And, you know, same thing on client success as that grew to, I mean, now we need leads within, you know, underneath the head of client success. We need leads because it's really hard for one person to manage 10, so I think that was a good rule of thumb to, uh, to always think about and divide and conquer. I think early on, you and I were both wanting to be involved in every decision across the whole company. And that makes a ton of sense. And we're both like, I think, multifaceted where we have talents and skills in different areas. And so maybe some of that was just us gelling with like, all right, we think about things the same way. And now we can kind of work separately and trust that the other person's making the same decisions that, that we would make. Uh, What do you think about
1: that? That's a great point of being in those meetings and hearing, like checking each other's assumptions, asking the critical questions and bringing up different points of views. Because there's a lot of meetings where it was probably very valuable for us to be in with one of the devs or to be in with a customer support person. So yeah, there's a certain crossover point though, where yeah, if it starts to feel redundant and you start feeling yourself not needed, I think the humility to say like, I didn't really bring any value here. I I probably don't need to be here for the next one. Um, But I think that moment happens when you're spending less time doing the task that either gets information or writing the code or like seeing the, you know, like hearing from the customer and or writing the code.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. The the transition, I think, to having all these heads was so necessary now to, to paint a picture of where we're at. We have a group of uh, seven of us, I believe, get together every week or every other week. We're going to probably move to every week soon. Mm -hmm. Um, We do it in person with, you know, the people that are remote, like kind of zooming in, um, flying in the remote people when we can, like as as much as it allows. So maybe every other month to make sure we have that in-person connection, but really using it as an opportunity for all of the leaders to touch base, talk about current issues, um, talk about challenges, struggles maybe plan some tactical things, uh, but just making sure that we're also fostering like the leadership and getting them exposure to how how we're thinking about things, how we're kind of seeing the next quarter, year, five years play out, vision, culture building, a lot of these kind of heavy, deep topics that then we say, now we challenge you, it's your responsibility to bring these back to your team and kind of run your team in the same way to, to feel what we're feeling here now and that's hard, right? Because now we're, we can't be those guys that know everybody in the company. There was a time and, and maybe an idealistic vision where we're like, oh yeah, we're those bosses that everybody's just, they know, they, they get exposure to, they hang out with. And I think the constraints of time are just uh, making it such that we have to empower people to be our kind of emissary to each different team. And that's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge and you have to have the right people in place. Uh, how do you think it's going so far? <laughs> I was going to ask you that of
1: of what what you've been doing. Um, but I think it's going great in terms of the leadership meetings have been huge, I think, to just the consistency. It's hard to argue with consistent repeating of messages, goals, um, so they understand it the way we see it. And so I think that's that's great. I think the part where we're still growing is the leadership team kind of influencing and inspiring, motivating the people under them as if they owned the company. And I know it's never going to happen like hundred percent, but I think the way we feel like we've impacted the leadership team that happening now with them and everyone on their teams. So that's part of developing people, you know, we're, we're, we're doing it holistically. I think of asking people how they show up to their workouts, to reading books, That's, I think, what leadership is, not delegating tasks. Because I think someone mentioned that the other day, right? So like, I think it might have been JP that said like, oh, I've just been going in and saying like, do this, this, and this, instead of saying like, hey, how are you feeling about your work? And how's your personal, you know, how's everything going in your life? Do you feel motivated? Do you feel inspired? And like, that's developing people. So, But how are you helping JP do that for the engineering team? Because that's like our role now is to like, help them be that, uh, Dirk or, or Tony Robbins or whoever yeah. in their, in their own way.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I think what you said is, uh, making sure they're seen as people first. I think we've always had kind of a humanistic people first organization. And I think that's so essential as opposed to people just feeling like it's a job, but it's like, you know, and so obviously, you know, some people on our team, there's many that were friends before they were team members and then there's people that we hire, everybody we hire, we like to some extent, we feel like they match us culturally and they have that same kind of hunger and drive that maybe um, we feel and we want everybody to feel to some extent. And so I think a lot of it is just making sure you put the time in to connecting as a person and asking them how they're doing and trying to get real, trying to get authentic. Um, I love that it's a lot of the stuff that I learned in counseling, you know, grad school, where it is like breaking through barriers and getting people to be more and more real with you. Because in my mind, that lets some of the other, the just business stuff and task stuff kind of takes care of itself. If you're removing the mental obstacles, if you're removing any barriers to motivation or vision, um, I will say some of it's structural too. Like we have redefined the incentivization package of a lot of these leaders to where there's less base and higher variable comp some of it is um, maybe for their particular division and like the revenue some of it's for the overall company profitability um everybody um, gets is eligible for equity at one year and people that show more of that ownership mentality more of that accountability more of that drive seem to be getting more equity because that's how they're just showing up and making decisions that Think about the greater good, you know? And so for anybody that's listening and, you know, isn't a company founder, but it's like, how do I get into that leadership circle? I think it is, you know, kind of first showing up as like, I'm here, you know, everything I do, I'm going to consider the whole, the greater good of the company. And, um, I mean, there's been some tough stuff that that's happened that, um, people have shown they're thinking about the big picture more than their own personal progression which is funny because then ironically that helps their personal progression because we see that like, Oh yeah, you're willing to take a hit, jump on a grenade for, uh, for the team.
1: Takes a level of selflessness, huh? Like selflessness and the team aspect, like never been more clear of, of actually buying into the team winning. Yeah. And then that elevates you. It's so, it's so counterintuitive probably. And I think I wouldn't have understood this either when I was, disgruntled and, you know, huffing and puffing at my corporate job, wondering why I wasn't getting ahead. I didn't even care about the vision or the company. Right. I was so, was so entitled, you
0: know, and you go back and you're like, wow. Okay. <laughs> and and it's more than just, Hey, I'm kicking ass at my like subset of responsibilities. Cause that's like, to me, that's like the the minimal bar for entry, right? It's like, okay, cool, that, you're doing your job. That's that's great. And if you're doing your job well, that's even better. But there's levels up above that. And that is when you're thinking, hey, how can I help other people do their job better? How can I see what's wrong with like processes and communication flows and like organizational structure and say, hey, let's make efforts to make this all better. How do we move the whole, you know, the whole vehicle forward? Um, that's, that's the next level of leadership that we've seen that we're fostering. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's nuanced, right? Like you ask how we do it. And I think it's different for each and every person and it is digging into where are your strengths, where are your weaknesses? What are we, what are we doing with that? It's a very kind of one-on-one thing as well as a group thing. Cause like in the group, we'll talk about what it, challenges are we running into when we're hiring for each of our respective teams? What interview questions are you asking that seem to resonate? What are we doing? Um, you know, there's tactical stuff like, hey, what software is everybody using for task management? Should we unify? And that's all well and good. But to me, a lot of it comes down to one-on-one relationships um, and continuing to pour that time into it. And it's, you know, it's not something that feels like this big revenue-generating activity. Mm-hmm. But that's leadership. Is you're not directly generating revenue. You're being a multiplier for everybody under you to do those revenue-generating activities. So is that why you-,
1: you think it's so hard? for people to consistently commit to is because you can't really track it. And it's just mm-hmm. like, it's like parenting that you're just like, Oh, I hope this, hope this works out in X amount of years. And they turn out to be good because you don't know if you failed or succeeded. Is that, do you think that's that the crux is why it's so hard for people to invest
0: into like the softer side of leadership development? Such an insightful question. It probably shows how you feel about it. Cause I absolutely make a ton of comparison between parenting and leading where you're right. You put in all this stuff and you hope that years down the road, you see like, yeah, that all worked out well. And, um, you know, it, it I think, yeah, like you said, some people think leadership is like delegation and task management and making sure that little cars are moving across the columns. Um, in my mind, yeah, it's less about those goal oriented things. It's more like, uh, I think at one point I used the gardener, um, mentality of like, trying to make sure the soil is nutritious there. It's ample sunlight, ample, like the right amount of water. Like you're thinking about the environmental variable, the inputs, right? It's all about the inputs and then the outputs take care of themselves. You're not just saying, Hey, we need 200 sales this month. Like some of that's important. And you know, it's, it's necessary to have quotas and expectations like baseline, like you're doing your job, but the inputs uh, focusing on those are far more important and it's, You're right. So abstract. It's like, what are mental barriers are holding you back? What are self-limiting beliefs? That's something we're going to talk about in our all hands meeting today. (laughs) Like what are your self-limiting beliefs that make you maybe not realize you can do the next level or that you can achieve some of these things that are your stated goals, Maybe You don't have goals yet. So let's talk about that. And it's just continuing to dive deeper and deeper into each individual. And that's why you can't have 10 direct. You could, you know, like think about the, the emotional weight of each of these conversations, you have one or two of these in a day and you feel like, Ooh, that's got drained it. a certain battery. Now I got to go and do some spreadsheets. Cause I don't have any more emotional um, battery to give. So uh, I what do What's your take on that?
1: You know, it, it feels so much better distributing that emotional energy. You know, you see it flowing to, you know, flowing to down to more people and then flowing out. And so, um, I can feel it happening. We don't like it, like I said, we can't have measured it, but like you can feel people taking more action. You can feel people busting through ceilings of saying, like, oh, I want more for my career. And so, yeah, so much of like the tasks and the numbers don't matter when you find out what someone's motivations are when someone wants to buy a house or when someone wants to get married and have kids and they want to feel financially secure. That kind of motivation, you can't like just get you know that someone's got to have that with deep down you can't teach it i meant to say so digging to those things um takes so much more work and emotional energy but they're also longer lasting than other you know cheap forms of motivation or inspiration so i think yeah that when someone feels seen and heard as to what their personal goals are and they think they can get there those are the kind of people we want so i think gosh it goes back to hiring you know it's like you can you can do all these things with people but if you hire people that don't have any like professional aspirations it's not going to work
0: hmm. so what's i give us a breakdown of like your approach like can you give a case study in kind of anonymous terms of like how how does this actually look <laughs>
1: um so you know, one, it's understanding, say, someone's background in history. So like so, you know, a guy on our team, Dave, like I I talked to him a lot about his previous jobs, how he how he felt about him, like what was success, what was failure, um, what he liked and didn't like. And then asking him what he sees in the future for himself. So I gave him a few questions of like, what does five-year Dave look like, 10-year Dave? Um, what are you actually doing? What kind of car are you driving? What kind of house are you in? Like getting really specific with him as to like. Have you ever thought about like what's possible for you in your future? So we kind of chart that out, write it down. Um, you know, we both have read some books over the years, like uh, on, on kind of uh, taking massive action for your career and what it looks like. So if we see those goals, we back, back in from that to say, okay, well, what do you have to do in the next year to like put yourself on a path towards that? And do you think there's opportunity at Spector to do that? And so when people start to get really excited about their own kind of future and take kind of take control of their future, because I don't know, I personally believe a lot of people when they take a job anywhere, they just think life happens to them or the job kind of happens to them. So talking so much about these nebulous things like accountability and taking action in your life, all these corny things that a lot of people roll their eyes at, starting to see it sink in and turn into like, oh, I'm going to work towards this because i said i want it not because you said i should want this um so that's again that's not a very specific playbook but it's uh it's the kind of conversations where you feel like you're just talking about the future or like Mm -hmm. dreams and goals but like adding some structure to it
0: i love that and it all points back to like shifting mindset right like shifting identity even because i mean you take anything right think think about working out you know, and every time that alarm goes off at 6am and you're faced with that choice of like, do I work out or not? If you believe that you're the person that always gets mm-hmm. up and does your morning workout at 6am, you're going to be more likely to get up every time that alarm goes off. Whereas if you believe like, ah, I'm just not really a fit person or I will be a fit person in a year, mm-hmm. but it's like, no, who are you today? Cause you have to be that today. You have to be that right now. And I think the same thing applies in business. Are you the guy that makes one more phone call? Are you able to do you know, just like one more customer conversation with like that energy and enthusiasm that like, it was the first. And a lot of that comes from identity. A lot of that comes from, oh, I'm the kind of person that does hard things. I'm the kind of person that achieves and you're right. Gets back to hiring, you know, where people are always the ones that like, were the leaders of a group project and kicked ass at every group project. or are really the ones that are like, yeah, I'll only put in a little bit because I know it's fine. What's wrong with a B and, um, yeah, looking for people with that mentality. And then those, you know, there's people have it in certain areas, but not others. How can you apply and translate it? And uh, it's so nuanced. It's such an art. And um, yeah, it's something that now I think we're getting a lot better at, but now how do we get the people that are um, the next layer of leadership to also get good at it? And that's when you think, wow, it's really hard to build big organizations.
1: Really hard. You bring up You bring up a great point, though, that gets me excited is uh, it makes me think of at the conference, one of the people on stage, uh, a guy named Rob owns a big company, 100 people for our industry, a big company. And he came to a team meeting with no ideas of what to talk about. And he told his wife, I got nothing. I'm out of content. And then she asked him the simple question, well, what are your inputs lately? And the way you just said, helping people with their self-talk and their inner dialogue we don't feel equipped to help people with that unless we're putting into ourselves and reading and helping ourselves. Cause I think there was a time when I wouldn't even know what to say to someone to ask them what their inner dialogue is like, or or are you being kind to yourself? Are you holding yourself back by telling yourself that you're out of shape or you're just not smart enough to be a leader, whatever. But like you read some of these books and you start to really think deeply about these things. You feel equipped to ask those questions. Cause the, the initial insecurity was who am I to help this person with their self-improvement, hmm. you know, cause you're, we're all stuck in our own head and being like, well, I don't have my shit together. How can I help this guy? Well, it's like you can, and it makes you better by helping. And so you probably felt that a lot in counseling. I imagine it's like, you're not counseling, just everything you've done in life of like, when you help others, do you find it helps makes you more accountable? Cause then you're like, I can't be full of shit here. Telling you to read a book. If
0: I don't read hmm. <laughs> I like it. All right. So what else, what else do you think we're doing on our leadership team? That's like worth sharing here. I think, I mean,
1: we loosely started a book club. We've only read one, the Netflix book uh, powerful, but I think finding these high impact books that define culture and all, all committing to reading it. Mm -hmm. um, Because I think without giving attention to these things as a leadership team, if it's just one person reading it and sharing ideas, it's just not going to take hold. It's not going to be infused into how they think. And so I think uh, taking time to read is one thing. What about about you?
0: I don't know. I feel like I'm tapped out of content at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In person, I think for remote, there's a lot of remote teams nowadays. And like we have made the effort to, to be mostly local on the leadership team and, and hopefully in the future anyone that that continues or looping in someone across the country so um that probably looks like team retreats for a lot of people yeah
0: and i'm guessing we're going to probably start doing like leadership retreats at some point um because you're right that in-person connection is so important and every time that we've flown somebody in or made an effort to get certain people together pays off huge you can just see the improvement in like interpersonal dynamics and just like a kind of gelling of like what needs to happen that's really hard over Zoom. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're like every other company, probably in the same boat of like figuring out remote, What's what needs to be done in person, what does not. Um, but yeah, as a leadership team, another level, another uh, set of dynamics to consider.
1: I'm so excited about this too, because you think about short attention spans with social media and just where we're at, that's, that's one aspect. And then you add COVID and everyone's remote. I think just the act of physically going to the same place somewhere else, whatever you're going to talk about is already going to be way more important. So I I think just the act of that alone shows you're all committed to something. And then the action follows that. So uh, it's never been clear to me that that, that's how shit gets done. That's how action gets taken as opposed to a bunch of Zoom meetings back to back where it's just like, eh, like, okay, I'm going to go eat lunch and then do laundry or something you know it just doesn't feel as important yeah
0: well i like it man i feel like we covered quite a bit here uh with the key takeaway being start doing these things as early as you possibly can obviously constraints of time money um are all understood but as early as you can fostering leadership something that we wish we did a little early but um we're getting better at it i'm excited to see where it goes cool right on all right thanks, everybody. Thanks. see you next time later